Hello, all you spooky listeners. I'm Lauren. And I'm Dallas. And welcome to Spooky Talk, a podcast about true crime, paranormal activity, and anything that is just downright spooky. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. Happy Monday. Um, We've been kind of being a little ghosty lately. We, uh, it took us a couple of weeks to put this out, but we're back in the game. It's just summertime is a really busy time for us, and I'm transitioning between jobs right now, so that kind of took up a lot of time. And but we're gonna get back in the swing of it. Swing the mesh. <laughs> Alrighty. So before we get into this one, um, I'm calling it Forbidden Love, and it is our first two-parter. So. You'll get the second part next week. You'll have to tune in for that. And I really hope you enjoy this one. Uh, For today's episode, I got most of my information from a book called Runaway Devil. Um, It is written by Robert Zemington and Sherry Zekfos, I believe is how you pronounce her name. But it was a really good read. I really enjoyed it. I really suggest you guys um, read it for yourselves, too, because it's a good easy read it's not very long and it kind of gives you the whole the whole picture because we can only put so much into an episode so let's go ahead and get started warning the following episode contains cuss words murder family annihilation child death sexual abuse of a minor violence drug addiction and disturbing dialogue listener discretion is advised In Medicine Hat, Canada, there is a small suburban neighborhood that was ideal for an average family life. Green grass on every lawn and cookie cutter houses perfect for a forever home. The Canadian way. The Richardson family dynamic was the classic setup. Mark Richardson was the man of the house. He was always described as a bear of a man. He was tall and had a big bushy mustache. He was wild in his younger days and would often share past stories of riding motorcycles and parties that got ridiculously rowdy. Kind of like most of us in our wild days, I guess. But yes, we are in Canada. We're seeing our friends to the north of here. In 1986, Mark realized early that he had a drug and alcohol addiction problem. Two months before his 23rd birthday, he checked into Sudbury's Rock Haven Recovery Home for Men. The center's director remembers Mark as motivated and was ready to do the work to be in recovery. Mark worked hard and put his life back on a healthy path. He never met a stranger, and he soon caught the eye of a beautiful young woman. Shout out to the Sudbury Blueberry Bulldogs. (laughs) I just think that's kind of awesome that at 23 he realized, like, ooh, maybe this isn't the best thing. Deborah was six years Mark's senior but she couldn't help but fall for the good-looking man with dark hair and the reputation of being a showstopper. Deborah was into spirituality and practiced meditation. She loved the traditions of the indigenous people and always kept a dream catcher in her bedroom. She would say that it helps keep away her chaotic past. Like Mark, Deborah had struggled with addiction in the past, but with Mark by her side, they both vowed to help others achieve sobriety just like them. Deborah even became a speaker at a local AA group and was almost like a small town celebrity. She and Mark were a big inspiration for those who were struggling. 
She had a megawatt smile and was always laughing. If she knew you, she would always greet you with a big hug. Deborah and Mark radiated positivity and were rocks in their community. That's a megawatt smile? Yeah, megawatt. With Mark being raised in a French-speaking Catholic family and Deborah with her unconventional ways, didn't stop their commitment to each other. They got married in Ontario in 1993. In October of that same year, she gave birth to their first child. It was a baby girl that they named Jasmine. She was described as a beautiful girl with amazing eyes, big and bright with long lashes. When Deborah became pregnant with her second child in 1996, the growing family moved to Okotoke, Alberta, to take advantage of the opportunities brought on by the energy boom. Mark got a job welding as he took classes to further his education. During this time, they welcomed the birth of their son, Jacob. He never made a fuss during his christening at a local church, and Mark held the tiny little baby tightly in his arms with his wife smiling next to him. They were described as a real picture-perfect family. So the guy's just sitting there like, oh, this is a nice fucking baby, looking baby here. <laughs> they both worked hard, but with Mark's classes, he was able to get into electrical engineering and was promoted to his career. Deborah helped bring in extra money by cleaning hotel rooms. By September of 2003, all of the couple's hard work was beginning to pay off. With Mark's promotion, they were able to settle down in Medicine Hat and purchase a house. The house was 1,014 square feet in the neighborhood of Ross Glen, a sleepy suburban area. Deborah thought that she had hit the life of luxury with a large fenced-in yard, back patio deck, and detached garage. 15 years of marriage, two children that got along and never fought, the Richardsons appeared to be the perfect family. As the kids grew, so did their personalities. Jacob was always grinning ear to ear. He was known as the class clown. He loved hockey and Star Wars. He even had his own lightsaber and he would mimic Jedi moves. And he is like one of the cutest little boys too. Like, um, I'll post a picture of him on the Instagram, spooky.talk.podcast. And uh, you'll just see that this whole family, they just, they were like that family that you would want to be friends with, you know. Like all the pictures in the picture frames that we buy from the store. They yeah. always have like the, the like the fake, perfect fake family. family yeah. Yeah. yeah, like they looked like that fake family in that picture because they were just, and like you could just tell that Mark and Deborah were, loved each other so much and they were just so happy. And store bought picture frame family. They were. Jasmine was turning 12 and shared her mother's beautiful smile. Her hair was long and dark, but she had crystal blue eyes. She could easily be on the cover of a teenage magazine. And I agree, she was a very pretty girl, so, but unfortunately she does look older than she is, so that kind of, because I always looked younger, so I could never get away with anything. <laughs> when Jasmine was 10, she began to attend a Catholic school, but she adjusted quickly and had no trouble making friends. Jasmine's friends noticed that Jasmine was an early bloomer. She skipped that awkward phase of between a girl and a young woman. And I, I remember that phase. It was kind of a weird time. Her two best friends, Aubrey and Nora, adored her. They 
described her as kind and gentle, and they also said that she was just an amazing person. Another thing that may have added an extra appeal to Jasmine was that she absorbed a lot of spiritual ideals from her mom. So Deborah turned her basement into a wellness studio and started practicing Reiki. Jasmine would collect crystals and share meditation sessions with her mom. And I think that's awesome because Reiki is a very good thing to practice because it's about the balance of energies and things like that. So it kind of has to do with the meditation and energy and everything like that. I'm actually really interested in it. As the school year progressed, Jasmine was more drawn to Wicca and began to push back against the religion that was being taught in her school. She took black tape and used it to form a pentagram on her bedroom wall. Jasmine and her friends became interested in the mall goth crowd. The group would dress in all black, wear eyeliner, and have chains hanging from their pockets. Jasmine dove headfirst into the culture and began to wear more black, oversized hoodies with different punk band names on each one, and she would wear choker necklaces and eyeliner began to get very heavy. So the whole time I was reading this book and writing this and everything, like all I could picture was South Park. Yes, the goth kids <laughs> from South Park and like how they're like, oh yeah, darkness is dark. <laughs> so you'll see what I mean when you start to hear about some of the kids. Or like those two girls that were uh, making YouTube videos and they were pretending to be goth. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, some, I can't remember the name of them. Something. Um, Underworld, goddess of the underworld, or something, some goddess of the darkness, something like that. And then SNL did a skit too, where they had a show called Goth Talk, and the band that they were showcasing that day was Satan's Answering Machine. <laughs> Satan's not here right now. I can leave a message. He probably won't play it back. <laughs> darkness is dark. Jasmine also knew that she was maturing faster than her friends. Her breasts were much larger, and she could easily pass for 15 or 16. In a photo of her and her friends posing at a Valentine's Day dance, Jasmine posed with a sucker in her mouth. She's like, oh my god, let's, let's move on. She looked, <laughs> <laughs> she looked much older than her 11 and 12-year-old friends. She began to turn to social media to create a different version of herself. One of her main pages she was active on was MySpace, and her username was X underscore madness underscore X. And um, she had an interesting list of things that she liked. Like, let's see, she's, she listed hatchets, serial killers, Criminal psychology, blood, moonlight, human anatomy, and kinky shit. And then for her hero, she listed Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, so there's that. And then she also listed Batman, illusionist and musician Chris Angel. And she enjoyed heavy metal artists such as Marilyn Manson and Danny Filth the founder and lyricist and lead singer of the British heavy metal band Cradle of Filth. Um, I guess that one was her all-time favorite band. I I never listened to them. Have you ever heard Cradle of Filth? No, never heard of Cradle of Filth. Neither have I, so maybe I'll 
look into that. So in fall of 2005, a counselor pulled Jasmine aside to talk to her about her newfound style. She was always getting into trouble for violating the dress code, but her parents didn't seem concerned. Deborah said that her daughter was just going through a phase and she just wanted to express herself. I guess apparently for like the school picture, she snuck in like some clothes that she wasn't supposed to wear and got all dressed up for her school picture. And I guess apparently like the school board got kind of mad at that. And they were trying to, and Deborah's just telling them like, look, you know, she's a teenager. She's going to do stuff like this. We don't want any coochies in our schools, eh? <laughs> this dark stuff is not what we're about. But, you know, it was also a Catholic school, so there was kind of that rift right there. But Jasmine soon befriended two local mall goths by the name Raven, who was 19 and flamboyant. The other young man was 21 and went by trench coat. Fucking trench coat. Trench coat. What up, trench coat? Oh, man. What a, what a nickname. I, I know. Like, that one's... I'm guessing he always wore, wore trench coats or I, some shit. I'm thinking, you know, that was part of the whole thing, too, was the trench coat and the black boots and the baggy pants and stuff like that. Like, it was it was a whole thing. So if you yell trench coat at this group of goths, do, do they all look at him, or is it just that one dude? Just that one dude. Like, they know him as trench coat. Yeah. And, okay, so there's, like, a, there's a difference. The book was talking about, like, the goth culture, and then there's these mall rat goths oh the mall goths yeah so they were saying that these these kids they're just they like the look of it but i mean they're just the mall rats that always hang out at the mall for no reason you know just to hang out but they're not like the actual gothic culture as they say they are it's a it's a whole thing and it, it's really interesting so kind of like poser yeah. They're like, just want to look like us, but they don't really love us. <laughs> like the war between the goth kids and the vampire kids. <laughs> There's a different look between the two, I guess. She was attracted to the lifestyle of the tattoos and having no consequences. With never admitting her real age, she created a profile on vampire freaks and went by X underscore killer kitty underscore x i had a vampire freaks did you no that's a hard no oh yeah i had one <laughs> i don't think it's around anymore but well let's hope not <laughs> she listed her age as 15 here she would post provocative pictures of herself some in surgical masks but the name that she would ultimately stick with when she joined zorpia and become known as Runaway Devil. As she began to grow closer to Raven, she referred to him as her soulmate. He told her about Nexopia. It was a social media for their local area. There, Jasmine created a very different version of herself. I am the almighty Jazz, bow down. I think deep thoughts. I am quite emotional and my mood is ever changing, although I can be very good at hiding my feelings. I don't trust easily. I either have lots of energy or very little. I like to make attempts at poetry and anime. 
I make wookie noises and often scare small children. I am afraid of llamas. I am told I am mentally retarded. Often I am loud and bounce a lot. When I'm hyper, I like to dress up and want an Edward Scissorhands outfit. Other people live in my head with me. I like random questions. I like to pretend I'm a gangster sometimes. Don't worry, I'm not. Yeah, sometimes I watch Teen Titans, an animated TV series, because I'm that cool. I play guitar and I suck. So, that was kind of all over the place. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, on that same website, she she listed her likes as cream jump jumpalines. I'm guessing that's a trampoline. Mm-hmm. I'm, gu- I'm guessing so. Midgets, uh, tricycles, squirrel men, and killing livestock, dark poetry, loud music, tattoos, and suspension. Is she like a fucking farmer up there in Canada or something? No, I How think she just go around. She just goes around slaughtering livestock without like. Well, she's twelve. So I don't. So it's all just make make believe. Like she doesn't really go around. That's one of her favorite pastimes. It's like baseball for people here in America. Yeah, so right after she says that, she also lists Wicca, which, so the first law of Wicca is do no harm. So we're kind of, you know, dancing on that line a bit. And then plastic spoons, duct tape, tarot cards, and Wookiee noises. I like rusty spoons. I like yeah it's it's a little bizarre so um jasmine's parents became concerned when their 12 year old daughter was talking to much older boys on the phone every night so she spent more time at the mall to visit her friends this is where she first laid eyes on jeremy allen steinke steinke i think it's steinke but it looks it looks like stinky stinky Stanky. So. Very stanky. Stanky. He was 23, a high school dropout, unemployed, and living in a trailer with his mother. He claimed he was a 300-year-old werewolf, and he belonged to a Lycan Brotherhood. 300-year-old, damn. (laughs) So he's not really 23. He's 323. His werewolf side is 300 but his human form is 23. so he has two bodies there's like the wolf body and then you know like on the full moon when they can turn and so so this wolf wolf yeah wolf just kind of goes around jumping from teenager to teenager and i think he Watched a little high school. I he watched a little too much uh, Underworlds. <laughs> Something. Something. Rise of the Lycan. Yeah, Rise of the Lycan. I'm pretty sure that's probably his favorite one. Um, so uh, after we just got done making fun of him, um, you know, his alter ego was really covering a traumatic childhood. He was teased a lot at school while growing up, probably because his last name was Steinke. Oh, you smell that? I smell something stank. <laughs> yeah. I guess it'd be like, hey, you older smell something? I, 
I think, oh, it smells stanky, eh? Oh, it must be Jeremy. His father would often come home drunk and beat Jeremy with a belt. Um, his mother, who was named Mary, abused alcohol as well. She had a daughter with her husband, and he left her with the two children. So next she married a man that was even more brutal. He was a heavy drinker as well, and he eventually died from his illness. Jeremy recalled how they were forced to watch each other get abused. His weapon of choice was paint sticks, and he would whip them with it. If Mary tried to stop him, she would get pushed or slapped. And I'm just thinking, God, that would hurt. Paint sticks? Yeah, because they, they're like just thick enough to where they got some stiffness to them, but they still got a little bit of flex. Yeah. Her third husband followed the same pattern, but would physically abuse Jeremy only. So he wouldn't touch his sister. He would just beat up on Jeremy only. His favorite method was punching him in the back of the head and putting him in chokeholds until he passed out. With suffering long-term abuse and being diagnosed with ADHD, he began to experiment with drugs. By 14, he was using weed, mushrooms, acid, and ecstasy. I think I was just learning about drugs like in health class when I was 14. And Yeah, definitely wasn't going hog wild at 14. Well, 14. Maybe dabbling a little bit before Dan went out, but it could be. It the, was when I was in uh, probably like oh no, 13, 12 and thirteen. I learned about uh, gangs and gang resistance. It was like 11, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. When I was just in sixth grade, going on to middle school. That's when I learned about drugs. Well, we had the Dare program, like the drugs resistance resistance education some or like drug resistance awareness or something education i don't know i forget what dare stood for but uh the we had two police officers that came in and they would talk to us about drugs and things like that and then we could ask them different questions and drugs are bad yeah it was kind of like that like they showed us this kind of like alice in wonderland type video where there was this rabbit and this kid that were on drugs and like there's one scene where the rabbit and the kid are just like sitting there staring at each other yeah like tripping their balls off so it like kind of scared us and i think that's what they like the rabbit in his head is thinking like why is this kid staring at me and then the kid in his head is thinking why is this rabbit staring at me yeah and the whole thing was too is like i like hearing about all these drugs i always kind of wondered where people got them because i think it depends on the area too because I grew up in a hick town where we had one traffic light, so there wasn't much going on out here, but there's also kind of a, I don't want to say dumpy, but there's a part of the town that's not as nice as the rest, and I think that's probably where you go to buy drugs. Oh, they find their way. Because there was a lot of, like, skinheads and things like that up here for a while, but yeah, it's just awful stuff. In his teen years, he failed at suicide a few times and began to self-mutilate. As he entered his adult years, he would deny that he suffered from FAS, even though he was clearly showing signs. And FAS is fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, Not freaking awesome syndrome? No, unfortunately not. No, no, no. (laughs) So he tried to find an outlet through poetry. 
there are scars on my arms. They appear there every day. The scars on my arms are with me to stay, to serve as a reminder of the pain I receive. Even though the world I live in is hell, I believe that the world goes on even after life. No, the question is, should I use that knife to end all the pain, to stop all the rain, to never know if there is something to gain? I can set myself free of all this misery, or I shall remain drowning in pain. No matter which path I choose, eternal scars remain. I think I'll give that about a C. Maybe a B, but somewhere in there. <laughs> it's pretty uh, pretty deep and intense. Jeremy did live with roommates before and worked odd jobs delivering pizzas or bagging groceries. None of the jobs lasted for more than a month or two because Jeremy's always had better things to do. He eventually had to move back in with his mother when he was kicked out, and his father's house was not an option. So that little poem. Yeah. It, I, as I was reading it, I could see one of the goth kids from South Park saying it. He, he says pain in there three times. <laughs> the pain. Well, like that episode where Wendy dumped Stan, so he joined the goth kids, and they were all sitting in that girl's room writing dark poetry. <laughs> like he said, I want you back, babe. And they're like, what? That's not goth. <laughs> and just so you guys know, Dallas doesn't really know anything about this episode. And this is the first time reading these scripts. So it's definitely like observations. I love it. <laughs> like most people, Jeremy would escape into social media, spending hours decorating your profile page and filling in the boxes about yourself. A few of Jeremy's interests included blood, destruction, guts, greed, and gore. He listed his beliefs with his lichen brotherhood or lichen brethren, razor blades, eyeliner, and kinky fetishes. His dislikes ranged from home wreckers, posers, prostitutes, and spider webs, but he said spiders are cool. The K-E-W-L. So cool. Um, and these are his words, not mine. So like the prostitutes and then earlier um, Jasmine with midgets, that's not correct. We understand that. But I just wanted to list what they actually wrote. So those are their words, not mine. Jeremy did dabble in the dating pool but all his ex-girlfriends bounced out after only a few short weeks of dating him. All of them claimed that he was extremely immature and that he drank too much. One girl recalled that he had a drug problem and he was very verbally abusive. He was controlling and his jealousy rage was overbearing. He was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. She also had a child that Jeremy says he fathered, but the girl disputes this but a paternity test was never conducted. Regardless, Jeremy is not involved in this child's life at all. The same girl became concerned, however, when she heard through the grapevine that Jeremy's girlfriends were getting younger and younger. She knew it was only a matter of time before he got himself in real trouble. But you know what we say about people that date younger, much younger girls. Creep. 
Yeah, or a girl that dates much younger boys, it's the same both ways. But yeah, it's a creep. Instantly, Jasmine thought, oh yeah, jackpot. Jeremy noticed her right away and felt the same pull. These two were like magnets. It wasn't long before they started communicating through email and instant messaging. So, um, yeah, do you truly feel that way? So, um, yeah, do you truly feel that you have fallen in love with me? I really want to know. If so, all you have to do is tell me. You mean so much to me. I don't want anything to ruin what we have, so please tell me everything truthfully. Are you going to be able to go to the punk shows with me on the 9th next week at the Scouts Hall and the 17th, not next week, the one after? It's at the Moose, yet I don't know why. Well, I miss you lots. Hope to hear from you soon. XOXO. Later, beautiful. So that was titled, till the subject of that was Till Death Do We Part. And then Jasmine responded, so hello there. Well, you see... I fucking love you. Jasmine's parents began to kind of monitor her online activities and were not happy that she was still communicating with older boys. Her profile picture was upsetting too, since she was holding up a realistic looking gun. Jasmine's friends hated Jeremy. They said he was creepy and the 23 year old shouldn't be hanging out with seventh grade girls. Jasmine resented her friends because they were siding with Deborah and Mark. Jeremy was feeling the heat from his friends as well. His friends were less than sympathetic when he talked of his woes and how his girlfriend wasn't allowed to talk to him. One of his friends named Daniel Clark said, Buddy, what are you doing? You're a grown man. You should have a job and not be running around with young girls. Jeremy freaked out and claimed that no one understood his relationship and their feelings were real. So, hey, bud, get your shit together, eh? Yeah. Jeremy took to writing lyrics to express his feelings. We'll never listen to your lies. Why don't you just go ahead and fucking die? We all know you are going to burn in hell. They'll all keep asking we should never tell. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I, I'm pretty sure that's how that would work. I, I think so. Or close to it. With her parents keeping a close eye on her phone calls and internet activity, she had to meet Jeremy in secret. Their rendezvous points were either the mall, the bus stop, down the street from her house, or even her lunch breaks at school. To show his love, he pulled a Billy Bob Thornton and gave Jasmine a vial of his blood to wear around her neck. They had long talked of getting married getting ring tattoos, and they would live in a castle with a goth wedding. To Runaway Devil from Soul Eater. Subject, hey sexy. How goes it? You're a sight for sore eyes, and I miss you more than killing people. Can we get together and kill people together? I have a poem for you, and you shall see it when I see you. Teehee. And she responded, aha, yes, we shall. She wrote, I miss you too with a large amount that cannot be contained in mere words. I wish to see this poem you wrote me. Love you, X. With Jasmine's secret meetings caused her activity on the computer to die down. Mark and Deborah began to have her attend family counseling with them. They thought that maybe in a safe space, she would be more open to discuss what might have been the rift between all of them. 
After a few weeks, it appeared to be working. They were even excited to get the old Jasmine back. As a reward, Mark and Deborah told her that she could attend the punk show, but they were going to go with her. The date of the show was March 17, 2006, and Jasmine was with her friend Aubrey and her parents. The concert was in Medicine Hat Community Hall, and there were multiple bands that would perform that night. Jasmine, though, was only there for Jeremy. And it was supposed to be, like, a whole thing where Aubrey was going to go with her, and they were going to party all night, and then she was going to stay the night, you know. And it was supposed to be a whole fun thing, but the whole reason, the only reason Jasmine was there was for Jeremy. So For the stanky. For the stanky, she liked that. So she slipped through the crowd and was able to break away from the chaperone situation. Outside, she spotted Jeremy, and when she hugged him, he swung her around. After a few minutes of bullshitting with Raven and Trenchcoat, the couple slipped away for a little privacy. Oh, my dog, Trenchcoat. <laughs> What's up, Raven? You're my boy, Trench. Oh, Lordy. As the next band was setting up, Deborah noticed that her daughter was nowhere in sight. With Aubrey's help, they searched for Jasmine in the large crowd. The two finally found her in an alleyway making out with Jeremy. Deborah lost her shit. And I think I would too, because her 12 year old daughter was in the arms of a much older man. So I think I'd be pretty pissed too. And then Mark flew into a rage and grabbed Jasmine's arm and put her in the back of the car. The four drove in the most uncomfortable silence. You could cut the tension in that car with a knife. The blade of grass. Yeah. Even after dropping Aubrey off at home, Mark and Deborah still said nothing. They boxed up her computer, took away her MP3 player, all her CDs, TV, her eyeliner, and even her hair straightener. Jasmine was devastated when she realized that her room was left with only her bed and her clothes, and this sent her over the edge. Just fucking lost it, bud. Yeah, because, I mean, they basically just gave her the necessities that they're supposed to provide a child. You know, she has a roof over her head, they're feeding her, she has clothes and a bed, so the rest was just, you know, privileges, not rights. Oh, sorry, I just being denied teenage pleasures jasmine had to get creative to keep her and jeremy's relationship alive she wasn't allowed to have any visitors or go to the mall so she decided to use the computers in the library hey sexy she's 12. i'm glad that you missed me but i wish you didn't have to sad face but I guess the only way that is possible is by us being together indefinitely, right? I have a song in the midst of being written for you. I hope you like it, too. And what of the vial of blood I gave you your words on expressing your thought on that item of my love to you? Yay. And Jeremy also um, was discussing different plans with people. Um, one of them was somebody who went by Kill My Heart. Oh, yeah, Kill My Heart. I know that dude. Yeah, so here's a conversation that he had with this guy. The whole point of killing them would be to start a spree across Canada. R-O-F-L, 
kind of like the legendary Mickey and Mallory love dance. It's called, have you seen that movie? It's called Natural Born Killers. It's the best love story of all time. I love it so much. I want to do it myself. That right there. Okay. So my dad loves the movie Natural Born Killers. And I had never seen it before. So I decided to watch it since this is Jasmine and Jeremy's favorite movie. And I wanted to see what it was all about. And it's wild. It is such a weird movie. It has uh, Juliet. Is that her name? Juliet Lewis? The uh, 16 Candles girl. That's Molly Ringwald. Oh. Um, I think it's Juliet Lewis. She's been in a lot of stuff in the 90s. And she's always had short hair. Pretty woman. That's Julia Roberts. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I can't think of... Well, she's in The Wedding Singer. Um, she's the girlfriend that left him at the altar. Um, she's in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. She's the girl down the road. Oh. She's in it. And then the other person that's in it is um, Woody Harrelson. And he plays like this repairman or like delivery guy or something. I don't, I don't quite remember. I've only watched it once and he kills her parents and they leave the, her brother alive because her brother is actually her son that her dad fathered and her dad is Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> so it's just, it was a really wild movie and just the way that it was like set up and played, it was, they just went on this killing spree and they were just so in love. And I, I wouldn't call it a love story, but I mean, you know, each their own. Two Soul Eater from Runaway Devil. Sex, sex, sex. Oh, and love. Oh, that was all she, that was all she said in that email? Yep. Holy, holy. Sex, I sex, I thought there sex. was going to be more, but I guess just no, sex was, and love, I guess. That was it. Two Runaway Devil from Soul Eater. Sex, 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 and love? What's that supposed to mean? I think it's kind of self-explanatory. So she replied that I miss you an overwhelmingly large amount and love you. And also I want to bang you. Ah, ha, 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 love. It's just, this whole, this whole story is bizarre to me. Cause she's 12, right? Yeah. And she's 23. Yeah. And they're going to, well, he's a 300 year old werewolf also. So that's definitely illegal. <laughs> A 300-year-old werewolf should not be messing around with 12-year-olds. No. And he later finds out her real age, too. Like, he finds out, because Raven actually told Jeremy, like, you know, you probably shouldn't be messing around with her because I think she's a lot younger than what she said she is. And Jasmine gets all pissed off at this, saying, like, you know, why is Raven meddling in our relationship and that blah, blah, blah. But yeah, later she comes out and says she's 12. And so Raven was just trying to look out for Jeremy because they knew that Jeremy was going to get the stanky in prison. Yeah, because they're like, she's a lot younger than she says she is. So, you know, they're just trying to tell him, be careful. And then when she says that she's 12, he's like, oh, you're 12? I thought you were 16. That's not, it's not a lot better. No, it's you're still going to be in prison. And they're going to start calling you Jeremy Shanky because of all the times you get shanked. Yeah, because I looked up the... 
I looked up the age of consent in Canada, and the age of consent is 16, but it said that they can only consent to somebody who is only two years old, up to two years older than them. So he's still, even if he thought she was 16, he's still breaking the law. And she's not 18 yet, so I'm pretty sure that just because you're the age of consent doesn't mean that, you know. You just go bang a bunch of dudes, bang, bang a bunch of old dudes. Yeah, you can only consent to somebody two years older than you, but... I don't know. It was just, the whole thing is just ick. Yeah. Yeah. So as April approached, Jasmine snuck out of her basement and got in Jeremy's mom's truck with him. They went back to his tiny trailer, and he led her past his mom's current boyfriend, who was drunk and passed out on the couch. His mom was nowhere to be seen. When he closed the bedroom door... The two crawled into the small bed and had sex for the first time. Gross. Like, my skin crawled when I was writing that and saying it out loud. Just gross. <laughs> Jasmine was lucky when she came home that she was wearing pajamas. Mark and Deborah caught her sneaking back in, but reluctantly believed her when she said she was just getting some air and wanted to look at the stars. With many pleads and woes that she felt like a prisoner in her own home, her parents unboxed her computer. The rules for having this privilege were that they were going to still watch all her activity. She had to remove all older boys from her social media and have absolutely zero contact with Jeremy. So like any teenager, she the first thing she did when she was alone was she opened up a message from Jeremy. To run away down. So, subject Hey, how's it going? I'm okay, I guess, but I'm still sorry that you got into trouble. When I tried to call Aubrey, I was thinking of you, and I think when I went to dial to apologize, I accidentally dialed your number. So sorry, that totally sucks. You got grounded for a month. God, your parents are so unfair. Cussing. My mother was nothing like her parents. You know why? Because she's been living on her own since she was 15, and she used to hang out with 25-year-olds and stuff, and she knows what it's like to be us. Too bad your parents don't. They should get with the program and realize that times are ever-changing, and they can't stop it. Like, what if in, like, what if mankind lifestyle changes are they going to refuse to change too? Because they won't. Because they won't make it very far then. Well, I hope to talk to you sometime soon. I miss you. I want you. I need you. I have you. I won't let anybody have you. TV Slipknot rules. <laughs> well, hope to see you soon or something. I love you. So... So Jasmine would confess to Jeremy that her parents were too snoopy in her life and they were controlling every aspect of it. Talk of serious actions began to form. Two Soul Eater from Runaway Devil. Subject. Hey, beautiful. Rar, I hate them. So I have this plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. So we are set. I'm going to try and call, but I really don't know when I'll be able to. They are treating me like shit. I hate them so much, but I hope this won't bring us far apart. 
I hope to talk to you soon, and I love you with all of my heart. Love. The next day, to Runaway Devil from Soul Eater. Cedric, hey, beautiful. Well, I love your plan, but you need to get a little bit more creative with, like, detail and stuff. I wish they wouldn't treat me that way. Girl, it angers me to hear that. I dislike them very much. I love you too, my sexy beast. I hope to hear from you soon, too. Take care, my love. You have the key to my heart, and soon enough you shall have my heart. If I die anyway, because I give it to you now. I'll die then, you won't be able to hear me say how much I love you. Love, XO, XO, XO. Jeez. Jeremy felt inspired by the thought of murder. He even wrote a poem explaining what his plan was. My girlfriend's They say that they really care. They don't know what is going on. They just assume as their greed continues to consume, she is slowly going insane. She continues to think that that I came into her life to help her. And so to stop what they keep trying to shout. It's all total bullshit. Their throats are not to slit. They will regret the shit they have done, especially when I see to it that they are gone. They shall pay for their insolence. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be paid. I'm going to give that one a solid C. That's, no, no, that was trash, man. So are you saying F? For freak, yes. Yeah, I'd put a, probably put an F on his paper and write on it, we need to talk. <laughs> Jasmine and Jeremy had sex to seal the deal. They were Mickey and Mallory from the movie Natural Born Killers, and her parents were going to die so they could be together. And that is where I am going to end part one. That's 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 the first part of there. But, okay. Yeah, I just I probably could do it all in one thing, but I would have to take a lot out. And it's honestly, it's kind of a heavy subject, so that's why I wanted to kind of give it an extra week to digest. Yeah, you gotta think about the stank. Yeah, you get that stank. So definitely go ahead and go um, visit us on Instagram. I will put up pictures of Jeremy and Jasmine and Jacob and Mark and Deborah and stuff so you guys can see what they look like and kind of get the full picture. Um, so definitely see us on Instagram at spooky.talk.podcast. Fuck, you got to have the dots there, bud. Have the dots in there. And then we also have a Venmo at Spooky Talk Podcast. We have a Gmail account at SpookyTalkPodcast at gmail.com. Go ahead and send us an email if you have any case suggestions, questions, comments, things like that. I would love to hear from you. And do you have anything that you want to talk about, Ellis? So you were hanging out with your pals the other day. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have anything else. Okay. So we were going to... Dallas tried a little bit, but we were practicing a couple of these scripts because we were going to try to read them in a Canadian accent. 
um, because these people are from Canada. And we meant it no disrespect. It's just when we were trying, we kept coming out as Irish. Irish or uh, like... Yeah, kind of like English. British. A little bit of British, a little bit of Irish. It was kind of an unrecognizable accent, but it definitely wasn't Canadian. So I I just scrapped it. Because, <laughs> I mean, I can go ahead and talk in, like this, you know, but, but to actually, like, read stuff. Give inflection. Yeah. So the words of Shorzy. Oh, nice, but let's get some bubble tea. Alrighty, well... We would love to hear from you guys. Thank you for having some patience with us. Sorry this episode is so late, but I hope it I hope it gets you intrigued and I hope you tune in next week for part two. So until next time, stay spooky. Yeah, come back here, you know. You come back so you can hear part two. Bye. Bye.